0: Strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Hi, welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. It's that time, everyone. Time to tell a story. Give me a second, I have to uncork this thing. (laughs) I mean, it's useless if it's not uncorked. Well, Robin... Mostly, what I'm going to talk to you about is pants. Oh, I love. love I'm going to talk to you about pants. Civil War, doctoring, twists, turns. Uh, Mostly, I'm going to talk to you about pants. Oh, yeah, pants. Lots of pants. Like pants, pants, pants for your to cover your butt and and hoo ha pants. So, do you like pants?
1: (laughs) Yes, I do like pants. I like pants.
0: (laughs) but imagine I enjoy pants very much thank you sure right we all like pants pants (laughs) are great the hoo-ha's covered they're comfortable Mm -hmm. made of various materials but imagine a time when you could go to jail for wearing them tonight I'm going to tell you the story of a woman unlike others who walked her own path regardless of what anyone thought of her this is the story of Mary Edwards Walker she was a surgeon a prisoner of war an abolitionist and a staunch advocate for dress reform. Mary was born in Oswego, New York, in 1832. Oswego is in western New York on the banks of Lake Ontario. She that's
1: was really
0: New York. That's like far. That's York. like
1: Yeah. As far as you can go.
0: Yeah, like Niagara Falls ish yeah. south. Oh, so pretty. Southwest a bit from there. Mm-hmm. So she was the youngest of seven children, born into what at the time was a quite unconventional family. She was taught to question Everything. In the Walker family, men helped and participated in household chores, such as cooking, cleaning, and laundry. Good for them. And the women took part in farm work. And while doing this kind of work, they often wore pants. She did not wear women's clothing during the time that she did the farm work because it was just too constricting. Mm -hmm. Her mother reinforced her views that corsets and tight lacings were unhealthy. do a mom.
1: Yeah, like I'm. <laughs> this is an incredibly I progressive love this family. Family,
0: I love this family. I just imagine these two people meeting. Right, you're talking like these people are meeting probably in like 1820s, and these people are like, well, you know, like just because I'm the man doesn't mean that I don't like to cook. And just because you're the woman doesn't mean that you don't want to help with the farm. I,
1: I can imagine before pants actually became a thing. I imagine them like gathering the back of their dress. Pulling it, it through front, and like clipping and it in. And tying it up. So, this is like little pantaloons.
0: Yeah. Little pantaloons style oh, situation. Like MC
1: Hammer Pants kind of thing, <laughs> you
0: know? So, this whole idea of, you know, not really like abiding by conventional gender roles was very progressive for the time. Her upbringing fuels her independent spirit. She was raised to not be constrained by the traditional yeah, gender no. roles. yeah. So, Walker, from an early age, was interested in dresser form and became an ardent follower of Amelia Bloomer in this cause.
1: Amelia Bloomer?
0: Ask the question you want to ask, Robin. Yes, Bloomers are named after Amelia Bloomer. That's for another time and place, though, people. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going to talk about Amelia Bloomer. Freaking Bloomers. In the future, I'm going to talk about Amelia Bloomer. In the 1830s, her parents founded the first free schoolhouse in the area. Primarily, Free yes.
1: Schoolhouse. This family is fucking amazing, bad ass.
0: So, and the reason why—language—and the reason why they founded the schoolhouse was really because they wanted their daughters to get the same quality of education that their sons would get. At this time, many schools either did not admit girls or would only allow them to go for so long, mm-hmm. you know, after a like certain, a, like, yeah, third like, third grade, like, why bother?
1: But it was also, like, timed. It's like, oh, you can, you can only go, like, two hours a day or something right. like that. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: you know, the idea of educating a girl in the early 19th century was not really considered to be a priority. After finishing primary school, Mary and her two older sisters attended the Fally Seminary in Fulton, New York. Falley was not only an institution of higher learning, but was also a place that emphasized modern social reforms and gender roles, education, and hygiene.
1: And hygiene.
0: This reminds me a lot of the Kellogg story.
1: Oh, oh, I hope it's not as traumatic or
0: um, no, 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 no. strict as there's a is, there's a lot less um constraints on masturbation in the story. Thank you. Thank you. But like I'm just saying that it is a pleasant thing, it's a good thing. Well, like just the way that they talk about this school that they, it's like oh you're going to go here for like hygiene and social reform and education, it feels very is it more of like a that. um Like a prep
1: school? Like a conditioning school? You know, I tried to look
0: it up and there's really no information on it. Um,
1: Like how girls know how to like cross their legs behind I think it was a lot about like like keeping clean
0: and and how like filth really like spreads disease. Well, during that time, everyone
1: needs to know that.
0: Yeah. Right. I I mean, you know. And they found this school? They did not found this school. This is where their daughters went after they went to their primary school that they had founded. Got it. So this type of education furthered Mary's desire to rebel against social norms of the time and defy female standards. It is interesting to me how little has actually changed because we consistently fight against unreasonable beauty standards. And even it, we're talking almost 200 years ago, mm-hmm. they're having kind of the same fight. And that it, it's always sort of an uphill battle. Yeah. to Of, of how a woman should dress how a woman should be what kind of makeup yeah, she should wear like how she should then. deal with her personal hygiene It's yeah. just, and, and to have somebody 200 years ago already be kind of on the forefront of this it, it feels like not a lot has really changed i
1: think that a lot of the schooling back then was based on their hygiene our thing but also how to prep them for marriage absolutely right and right like so like how to be a proper woman and lady and Unfortunately, some and of a these good women life,
0: and how to cook some and of, how to clean. Some of these
1: girls, have, they, they didn't even
0: get their period yet. And they're being taught to how to be a, a great wife. How to sew. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, so the idea of a woman being valued for her intellect and character mm-hmm. are struggles 200 years ago that remain today. Like nothing's. Yeah. It doesn't feel different to me. I'm reading this story and I'm thinking, I look at my daughter and I think. I tell you you're beautiful, but I hope that everyone tells you you're smart, and I hope that your value is not based on your looks alone, Mm -hmm. and it just feels very similar. Mm -hmm. So growing up, Mary's favorite thing to do was to read her father's medical texts.
1: Her dad dad apparently just had
0: books laying around, and she especially enjoyed the books on anatomy and physiology, and my response to that is, girl, same – growing up, my mother had some anatomy books. She had like a DSM, which was like the diagnostic manual. She had like a book that had all the different medications in it.
1: Because she was interested in learning. She wanted to be a
0: nurse (gasps) when she was young. shut up. So she had all these books around. And I would just like go through them and read them and look at the different colored pills and read what they did. And interestingly enough, Mm -hmm. though I went to school for history and then eventually ended up becoming a nurse, Mm -hmm. that that sort of thing, you know, in your head, those medical ideas so young really, you know, Oh no! it no. plants a seed. Yeah. So after she left Falle Seminary, she went on to teach school in Mineto, New York, where she would work until she could save enough money to pay for her education. Her next stop was Syracuse Medical School. She was one of the first female physicians, though not the actual first. That honor goes to Elizabeth Blackwell, who graduated in 1849. It was also in medical school where she met Albert Miller, a fellow medical student. The two hit it off, and he was not threatened by Mary's unconventional ways. He loved women. During their wedding ceremony, Mary had the word obey taken out of her vows. (gasps) She refused to wear a traditional dress, instead wearing a short skirt with trousers beneath.
1: Oh, I love
0: it. She also refused to change her name as she was not owned by anyone and was no one's property. They moved to Rome, New York, where they started a joint medical practice.
1: And he was completely fine with all of this. Yeah. That's what's, that's what's fa- like, amazing. Right. sounds so- Is that at this time, a woman who was very independent and was up on her way met a man like, yeah. who
0: was like, okay, cool.
1: All yeah, right. We're talking
0: 1850s here. Yeah. yeah. No, this is yeah. fantastic. I love it. So here they are, Rome, New York. They start a medical practice together. Mm -hmm. But the practice did not thrive, as female doctors were still more of a curiosity and were not wholly trusted. Mm -hmm. But just as their medical practice did not thrive, neither did their marriage. Oh, no. In 1859, Mary (laughs) Walker discovered that her husband was involved in an extramarital affair. Oh, fuck. I I told you. too soon. He loves women. God damn it. He loves women. She asked for a divorce. He suggested that instead, she also find affairs outside her marriage. He's like, hey, hey, babe, it's cool. Hey, babe, it's cool. Let's stay married and we'll both just like have sex with other people. It'll be fine. Like I said, a lot of Mary's story feels very 2020. Feels like not a whole lot's changed. So she decided that instead, she would pursue a divorce, which also meant that she would have to work extra hard to establish yeah. a medical career without yeah. him. Yeah. But, yeah. Divorce laws at the time made it very difficult to get an actual divorce without consent from both parties. And he refused. Yes. While adultery was grounds for a divorce, and Mary had amassed a huge amount of evidence against him of multiple affairs, one Resulting in a child. (gasps) Yeah. And another where he had actually seduced a female patient. But was it because it was a woman's word versus a man's word? Yes, ma'am. So meanwhile, she has all this evidence against her scumbag husband. Plus a
1: child. He impregnated
0: another another woman. I mean, just by the age of the child, you can tell whether that was extramarital or not. Correct. But.
1: But she they could
0: not get a divorce in the state of New York. And after 9 years. 9 of her trying. Not 9 years. Yes. The child is almost 10 at this point or well, not 9, but like are you kidding me? So she's been fighting for 9 years. And even at that point she knows oh, no, that 10. if she gets it finalized The state of New York requires another five-year waiting period for it to be finalized. So even if she got it that day, it would be another five years. So at that point, it would have been so many years. But the freedom, though, right? Yeah, I mean, she really wants this divorce. Yeah. Right?
1: I would rather have everything kind of documented and then, yeah, it takes that, that long, but I'm done with you.
0: You... So she's definitely done with him. Yeah. But she's like, I got to get this divorce. So what does she decide to do? She's not an idiot. She's like, how do I get this divorce? I'm going to move to Iowa. In Iowa, it's much easier to get a divorce. But her marriage
1: license isn't
0: in Iowa, though. Yes. They so don't... once she was there, she discovered that New York would actually not accept an out-of-state divorce. Mm-hmm. So she came back. She did some stuff while she was in Iowa. She... You know, did some education. She got involved in a debate. So she comes back to New York. At the outbreak of the Civil War in 1861, Dr. Walker, then 29 years old, journeyed to Washington, D.C., where she applied for an appointment as an Army surgeon. Much to the shock of the medical department, which immediately rejected her. Why? I mean, because she's a woman. Who
1: cares? Come on. There
0: are no women in the Army. And there are very few women physicians. Much less women surgeons. So, but you know, Mary is not an easily discouraged. Sort. No, no. So she stayed in Washington, where she served as an unpaid volunteer in various camps. And when the patent office was converted into a hospital, she served as its assistant surgeon and worked without pay. During that time, she was instrumental in establishing an organization that aided needy women who came to New York to visit wounded relatives. Dr. Walker met with considerable abuse over her persistent demands to be made a surgeon, but also earned considerable respect for her many good works. Meanwhile, she abandoned her bloomers and adopted a modified version of male attire, with a calf length skirt worn over trousers, keeping her hair relatively long and curled so that anyone could know that she was a woman. In November 1862, Mary presented herself at the Virginia headquarters of M.G. Ambrose Burnside and was taken on as a field surgeon, although it was on a volunteer basis. She treated the wounded at Warrenton and in Fredericksburg in December 1862. Almost a year later, she was in Chattanooga, tending the casualties of the Battle of Chickamauga. After the battle, she again requested a commission as an army doctor. So they're basically like, Oh, we'll kind of let you help, but we're not going to say you're in the army. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to call you a surgeon. Yeah. But we're going to keep taking your help. We're going to keep letting you work. And she's there in her pants, in her long coat. And she's like, well, I'll have like long frilly hair because it makes you all more comfortable. Mm -hmm. In September of 1863, she was appointed as an assistant surgeon in the Army of the Cumberland, assigning her to the 52nd Ohio Regiment. Many stories were told of her bravery under fire. However, she served in this capacity for only a short time, as in April of 1864, she was captured by Confederate troops. Oh, having yeah. remained behind to tend a wounded soldier,
1: she stayed behind. So she was to well known as an aide, and then she was captured. Yes,
0: so she was well known for She was saving a life. Right, she she was well known for staying behind enemy lines, and not only I love that, and not only helping Union wounded, she would help Confederate wounded, she would help civilians who were wounded, she would just stay and do the work. She right?
1: was a proper doctor. She was a doctor. When when you take that oath, yep. anyone, she she took the oath, and so she 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 went by it. Doesn't matter who it was, if she's
0: on a battlefield, she will handle anyone who needs no. help. So Mary was arrested and charged with being a spy. Her male attire constituting the principal evidence against her. Dr. Walker spent four months in various prisons, subject to much abuse for her unladylike occupation and attire until she was released in an exchange for a Confederate surgeon. So they did like a prisoner of war swap. They're like, um, swap your surgeon for our surgeon. I will tell you that one of the places of where she stayed was called Castle Thunder. I'm just saying. It made me think of He-Man. It's a sidetrack. <laughs> but I looked it up significantly, and I was like, Castle, oh, my goodness, Castle, Castle Thunder. Castle,
1: Castle Thunder, yeah.
0: Yeah. After the war, Mary was awarded a disability pension for a partial muscular atrophy that she had suffered while she was imprisoned at Castle Thunder. She was given $8.50 per month. And in 1899, that amount was raised to $20 per month. In case you're wondering, that's about $700 a month in today money. Throughout the remainder of the war, she served at the Louisville Women's Prison Hospital and also worked at an orphan asylum in Clarksville, Tennessee.
1: <gasps> Shut up.
0: Shut the front door. Oh, my goodness. That's Shut my up. hometown. So I looked into this because I was like, holy yeah. shit, that's my hometown. What is this orphan asylum? What is this civil war orphan asylum? This craziness. Where Where is it? Where was it? Like, can I visit it? Can I take a picture of this building? And let me tell you how little to nothing I could find. On a Reddit message board, deep in the bowels of Reddit, I found that there was a place called the Tennessee Confederate Orphans Home somewhere in the vicinity of Clarksville. That is, is all I could find. Is it gone now? Is it like I mean, demolished? It is, or, like long gone. Like erased from history, gone, and the people that I found that were talking about it were tracing their lineage through it, and that was the only way I could really find anything was sort of like a twenty three and me sort of discussion of genealogy.
1: There's not even like a building, like a, it's not like a school certainly now not. No, no, or no, no. I nothing?
0: would. Wow. No. So that is one thing that does happen in the South a lot that doesn't happen as much in the North. It demolishes. I found that like they will built. just knock things down and build something new.
1: Well, we, there's no
0: history that is assigned we, to we it. We also
1: do things up here, knock it down. But of, we, course, but of course. But we know about it.
0: Of course. Um, but there are homes here from 1800s. Mm-hmm. In the town I grew up in, if there is a home from the 1800s, it would be considered incredibly rare. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the history isn't quite as long mm-hmm. because I think it was more rural and more spread out. So the cons- the consolidation of urban life and organization yeah. right is yeah. is much newer there mm-hmm. than it is here but we digress back to mary after the war mary requested recognition for her service she felt that she had suffered and served but lacked the acclaim that she would have received if she had been a man and based on a recommendation from major general sherman and thomas president andrew johnson Signed a bill on November 11th, 1865, to present Dr. Walker with the Medal of Honor for Meritus Service. President Andrew Johnson awarded her this medal, and to this day, she remains the only female recipient of the Medal of Honor.
1: Oh my goodness. Begin to clap, lady. <laughs>
0: After the war, she continued to work for dress reform and women's suffrage. Mary was elected to become the president of the National Dress Reform Association in 1866. And for years thereafter, she worked closely with Belva A. Lockwood, who also major American badass, American feminist and lawyer, who was the first woman admitted to practice law before the U.S. Supreme Court. I love it. Literally, Mary's hanging out with like the bloomer lady, this lady Lockwood. She's like... Oh, this lady is, like, going to be the first person in the U.S. Supreme Court. She's got a Medal of Honor. And then this lady is over here, like, making bloomers. Just, she's with, like, the movers and the shakers. The movers. The shakers. The tastemakers. It's cool because I'm hanging out with the bloomer maker. Feminist organizations widely publicized Walker's Civil War service. Like, women were ready to line up. Women's organizations were ready to line up to be like, oh, like, and we have Mary Walker, who served as a surgeon in the Civil War, but easily threw her aside because of the way she, that she dressed. At this point in time, they considered her to be a wild eccentric. They're like, Mary is like a little too much. She wore full pants dresses. M- right? By this point, she was wearing full male attire. complete with wing collar, bow tie, and top hat. Mm -hmm. She was often arrested for masquerading as a man. She claimed that she had been granted special permission to dress as she likes by Congress, but no record of this explicit action exists. She wrote two books that discussed women's rights and dress. Mm -hmm. Her choice of profession and dress marked her for harassment and ridicule her whole life. In 1870... While she was in New Orleans, she was arrested because she was dressed as a man. The arresting officer twisted her arm and asked her if she had ever had sex with a man.
1: <gasps>
0: How rude. Considering. Are you kidding me? Of course. Oh, my God. At that time, wearing clothing outside of your gender norm was essentially evidence of homosexuality. Yeah. Dr. Walker was released from custody only after she was recognized by officers of the court. She was frequently arrested for wearing men's clothes, including her signature top hat. Her response to those who criticized her choices was to say, I don't wear men's clothes. I wear my clothes. In 1871, she attempted to register to vote. Of course, she was denied. Her belief on the entire idea of abolition was that women already had the right to vote, and in the wording of the Constitution, that a woman is... Mm-hmm. It's a human's inalienable right. Mm-hmm. So it there was no reason. It was just a matter of Congress flipping yeah. the switch. yeah, but she didn't make a lot of headway with that. And so the entire abolition movement didn't really stand behind her her principles. She was just like, no, this is we don't need a special amendment. We're not different than men. Mm-hmm. We're humans. We deserve exactly equal rights. There should not be a special amendment But she's also for women.
1: saying this in a male kind of attire.
0: Right. So she eventually – top
1: hat. And so she is projecting this kind of thing where it's a, a male attire and she is promoting
0: female rights. Well, she just – You know what is, I mean? Is, so, well, so she's essentially trying to say that there's no yeah, difference, right? Exactly. Yeah. She's like, I grew up thinking there's no difference. Mm-hmm. What, does it matter oh, if I wear pants? Her, this parents, is more comfortable. her
1: parents brought her up correctly. She uh, she's a fantastic.
0: If person. you told me that her parents were time travelers, I would believe it I know, right? because okay. it makes no sense how they, they created this creature.
1: They created a twentieth-century creature exactly in, in
0: the early nineteenth century. Yeah. So the abolition movement sort of left her behind. Mm-hmm. The women involved were like, Mary, you're a little too much. Um oh, so we're just going to keep pushing
1: So
0: we're just going to keep pushing forward <laughs> yeah. and try to get an amendment to the constitution to allow us to vote rather than trying to fight them to say that the right was already there but she continued to attend suffrage conventions and distribute her own literature but was virtually ignored by the rest of the movement her penchant for wearing masculine clothing only exacerbated the rift between herself and the abolition movement In 1916, the Army's Medal of Honor Board deliberated and decided to remove 911 names from the Army Medal of Honor roll, including Dr. Mary Edwards Walker and William F. Buffalo Bill Cody. Both were considered to be ineligible for the Army Medal of Honor because laws at the time required that recipients of those honors should be enlisted members of the Army. In Walker's case, she was a civilian contract surgeon, but not an actual commissioned member of the armed forces. Nevertheless, the Medal of Honor board perhaps discriminated against Walker because it declined to revoke the Medal of Honor for at least two other contract surgeons. They were both men. And that's some shit. Mm-hmm. It's like 1916 rolls around. She's, like, at this point, 70s, early 80s. And they're, like, taking her, her Medal of Honor away oh, because they're thinking, like, oh, well, you know, she wasn't really a member of the military. But oh. they let per- they let men keep it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, so in her later years. No, 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 no. I know. It's just r- some, no, no. some no, real no. hot garbage there. It's just, like, her entire life. It's no. kind of always something. Yeah. No, no. no, mm-mm. Mm-mm.
1: no mm-mm.
0: So, in her last years, Dr. Walker opened her home to those who were ostracized, harassed, and arrested for not conforming to traditional ideas of how people should dress. Dr. Mary Walker died at her home on February 21st, 1919. She was buried in a black suit. In a rural cemetery in Oswego, New York. Beautiful. Of course. I mean, thank God, right? Yeah. But Mary's story continues after her death. And in 1977, her Medal of Honor was reinstated. Oh, shut up. Really? Yes. By who? Like, who? So, it's funny that you should ask. Because it's actually pretty convoluted how that all goes down. And it's a little bit above my pay grade. And I'm not really sure that I can necessarily explain it. But- the – people tend to say Jimmy Carter gave yeah. it to her. But it was sort of – he was the person in charge of many low-level actions that led to it. But it's still contested to this day because looking back historically –
1: Or did they just realize that they fucked up and then like let's just – I think they are just like, you know, she was pretty Carter awesome. Let's yeah, just give it to
0: her. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure why they reopened the case. If Jimmy
1: Hoffa was the one that kind of did it.
0: Jimmy Who? Never mind. (laughs) Oh, Lord. So apparently there's a lot of intense debate over army medals, the management of them, who gets them, who receives them, historically who got them, how they can historically take them away. There's a lot.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was So I went down a
0: rabbit hole for about 35 minutes and was like, I I don't understand and I can't begin to try to talk about this. It was taken
1: away, but the fact that it was given back.
0: It was reinstated. But... Better. So... Mary's a badass. Better be... And her legacy lives on. World War II, they had a ship named after her, the S.S. Mary Walker. Oh! And in 1982, she had a postage stamp made in her honor to commemorate her birthday. There is also a residence home for homeless female veterans in Philadelphia named after her. There is also... The Whitman-Walker Clinic in Washington, D.C., which is named in honor of Walker and the poet, Walt Whitman, who served as a nurse during the Civil War.
1: Walt Whitman?
0: Really? Was a nurse. Really? While Mary was a surgeon. (sighs) Was he...
1: Oh, my goodness. It's just
0: a mind-blowing, like, weird, crazy... Walt Whitman? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And in the year 2000 mary was inducted into the national women's hall of fame
1: oh go mary
0: i mean seriously that's pretty cool who knew that wearing pants could make so much history that is the story of the legendary badass who amputated limbs survived being a prisoner of war and lived to fight for the rights of women just another notorious narrative thank you so much for listening if you're enjoying the podcast there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash Notorious Narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring.